Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. My name is Chris Fullwind. I'm your host. Glad to have you joining us on your busy, crazy day, right? Are you having a busy, crazy day? Well, my day wasn't that bad. Wasn't crazy. Wasn't that busy, actually. So, rather enjoyable. Hope you are doing well with the Lord, uh, finding Him to still be master in your life, even while the world doesn't seem to have a master at all and is completely out of sorts with itself. But we'll, we'll ponder those things another time. Usually on our show, we like to begin with some funny, unusual trivia. And because of where I work, I work at an assisted living facility. I am often bringing the residents there uh, interesting things that they really don't need to know. You probably don't need to know these things. Like, for instance, I discovered that the longest time between two twins being born is 87 days. Can you imagine? Twins, but 87 days apart. That's hard to get my mind around. Maybe it is for you, too. I chuckled at this in 2007. An American man named Corey Taylor tried to fake his own death in order to get out of his cell phone contract without paying a fee. (laughs) I think all of us have felt that, you know? And uh, just so you know, it didn't work. Um, Yes. Well, it depends on what company, right? But we won't talk about that. I thought this was... Interesting also, in 1923, uh, jockey Frank Hayes won a race at Belmont Park in New York despite being dead. He suffered a heart attack mid-race, but his body stayed in the saddle until his horse crossed the line for a 20-to-1 outsider victory. Boy, that is a determined racer. Frank Hayes. That was interesting. And I also ran across some some unusual trivia about space. One of the one of the ones that uh <laughs> kind of made me chuckle and I had no idea about this was that the early cosmonauts uh carried a shotgun in their space capsule so that when they returned to Earth and would land somewhere in Siberia they had a defense against bears. (laughs) I don't know why that makes me chuckle, but it does. And interestingly enough, and it just never occurred to me to ask the question about what does space smell like? And apparently it has some very distinctive odors, although... uh, most astronauts have difficulty pinning it down. So some, it, it obviously has the smell, obviously to them, of course, of hydrocarbons, like gunpowder, okay? Like uh, something had exploded, which, of course, things are always exploding in space. So it smells like sulfurous, you know, acrid, uh, but to to Alexander Gerst, who was an astronaut, he says it smells like a combination of walnuts and the brake pads of a motorbike. And other astronauts said, you know, it really just smells like a barbecue that's uh, been burning a little too long. <laughs> so there you go. Now you don't need to travel to space to figure out what something, you know, what it's like up there. You're you're getting a better flavor just because you tuned in to Life Hurts, God Heals. So, glad you're with us. So, the title, Hurtful Memories. What do we do with those? The title has, do we open them? Do we save them? Do we share them? Do we delete them? Because, you know, sometimes... Well, the reality is, is that we all 
have some bitter, hurtful memories in our past. And if we don't, we will. And the memories are of a sort or of an intensity that uh, they get embedded into our hard drive. And what do we do about them? You know, they, they show up like an unwanted advertisement on our computer screen while we're doing something. Something is triggered and, and suddenly we find ourselves replaying a video of something long past over and over and over again. And I just wanted to consider, how do I deal with this? You know, and every time I come up with a solution, uh, works for a while maybe, but then not so sure. And then I begin to think, am I just stuck with these memories forever? And are they going to be intrusive for the rest of my life? What do I do with those memories? Is there a way to delete them? How do I do that? And if I can't, can I move them somewhere so they can no longer interrupt my day? Is there a file cabinet I can put them in in my brain? You know, I have done many things in, in my own life, you know, in dealing with uh, memories. Um, sometimes I, I think if I can just put them away in, and I'll imagine a great big box that I can put them in in my closet uh, so that they're not spread out all over my living room or my living space, whatever that is. But inevitably, something will happen and I will go up into that closet, I'll pull that box out to check something. And the moment I open that box, um, it, it's like a jack-in-the-box. It just kind of explodes. And there I go. Now I'm, I'm stuck with all these memories littered about. And uh, now I've got to repack them in. What a drag that is. Sometimes I think, well, if I could just redirect my life, I, I just have to move on. If I can focus strongly on what needs to be done today, then I won't think about the things that are hidden away in my memories, ready to jump out at any time. And then I've also thought, well, maybe what I need to do is find some place or someone that is safe, that I can share these memories with. And what I mean by safe is someone who understands pain, understands memories, someone, you know, that won't share them, <laughs> okay, that, that you have a level of trust, but I think also a level of friendship with, someone who you've had history with and you might consider a good friend. Those are those are safe places. Because um, I, I, I do I do get that if we share with a counselor, that's really healthy. And and then the counselor, once you've paid the counselor, that counselor is never in your life again. And uh, you've been able to share it with someone. And I think there's great value to that. Um, but oftentimes there are things in life that regurgitate the memories. They'll be a parallel happening or there'll be one person in that memory that will call and they're not part of the bad part of the memory they're part of the good part but it then it it triggers bad parts you know and when we're talking about memories i guess i don't really need to say what they are right because they they cover the gamut and the intensity is different for each person because we are all different by personality. And we've, we've talked about personality, haven't we? They, our personalities are very different, like thumbprints. And so we react 
two things and we store things away differently based upon our personhood. And so it doesn't matter if someone has the pain of, say, a violent happening in their life or a series of violent happenings in their life or upon themselves or someone just uh, consistently, openly, publicly shamed another. There is pain in that. There is pain in grieving, a loss. And then, of course, grieving is, is fairly diverse. In fact, in some way, I wonder if not all pain is, uh, is a grieving source and needs to be grieved. I still wonder about those kinds of things. And for the sake of this show, I am... I'm going to assume, I haven't given it a lot of thought because I, you know, my brain is a little scattered. Maybe yours is too. But uh, for the purpose of this show, I, I was thinking earlier today that, that um, I suspect that most hurtful, bitter memories, in order to find a better handle on them, need to be grieved properly. So in other words, I'm broadening the definition of grief to go beyond just the loss of a loved one. The, the grief could be a loss of many things. It could be the loss of innocence or uh, the loss of fame or the loss of a dream or the loss of uh, a family, loss of a friend uh, who is no longer nearby. It doesn't have to be the death of something. It's just the loss of it that, depending on the intensity of the pain, can begin to bleed. And so in the healing, there's a, there, is, there is certainly a, a scar. But sometimes, you know, we have sores that we scratch and they reopen. We scratch and they reopen because they itch. And they keep itching. And how do we get beyond that? And I must say, I'm just going to reemphasize this. I am not a therapist. I am not a licensed counselor. So the things that I'm saying, these are more contemplations because we're going to be entertaining some of the uh, scriptures, the biblical scriptures to, to direct some of these these thoughts, because the purpose of this show is to is to get you to think on your own about things that need to happen in your life. Please don't assume that uh, uh, the answers that that we come up with or I come up with uh, are exactly the right thing to do. It might be one of uh, an array of answers or a launch pad to many answers uh, for you. So in discussing hurtful, bitter memories, um, I wanted to look at it in the framework of grief. Earlier this week, uh, I was presenting some class videos from a psychologist who was talking about grief and uh, anxiety and depression. And one of the things that, that was very enlightening to me and helped me understand uh, losses that I have faced in my life is that he, he, he focused on, for a period of time, he focused on one kind of grief and he called it complex grief. And he used as an example something in his own life where he grieved the loss of a loved one who died, but the relationship was complex because of drug abuse, because there was estrangement in the relationship. And so, as a result, the grieving process was also complex because every time 
there was a mention about this individual, because of the pain involved throughout the relationship, or at least a good portion of the relationship, and that it was complex and confused and difficult, well, all of those all of those feelings needed to be reprocessed every time uh, a mention was made of that individual, which made the grieving process incredibly long. And in fact, he even suggested it never leaves. It will never leave because uh, a complex relationship requires a complex grief. And so what was his solution? And it wasn't like he had a solution. It was more along the line of you have to create space for it in your life. You, you have to create a closet for it and recognize that when you open that closet or you open that box, be prepared to, you know, empty out the box and then re-put it back. Empty out the closet and re-put it back. That was very helpful for me. And it got me thinking about, well, what we would talk about today, this a way to handle memories. Because usually when we are grieving, let's say I'm grieving the loss of a grandpa or an aunt. I'm not just grieving the loss of that individual, am I? I'm grieving many, many parts of that relationship. Uh, I'm grieving... I'm actually grieving the loss of some of the memories that I had because while that person was alive, those memories were more than alive. They were like living memories. And now that that person is gone, it's as if those memories are now up on a wall. They're not a living video anymore. Uh, they're, they're confined to a book of some sort. Um, Memories that, that if I die, they will die with me, you know. That there are memories associated with a person in terms of, of what they brought to your life. Um, whether it was knowledge or wisdom, laughter, um, repetitive holidays, you know. Um, these holidays will never be the same because this person is gone. Um, the clothes they wear, the gifts that I received. You're, you're grieving the loss at many different levels, a lot of different griefs. And that applies also to memories. Because if you have experienced a harm, you know, I mentioned earlier it might be something publicly shaming, maybe Maybe you were bullied and it affected you deeply. And only now in, say, your later life, you, you, you're starting to have to deal with these things. You know, a lot of midlife crises that happen in the lives of people are usually triggered by, you know, children leaving home or a divorce or the loss of a, a house to foreclosure or the loss of a parent, something triggers a midlife crisis and then the midlife crisis begins to ask some serious questions about, uh, about life. And sometimes it's, it's the desire to recapture what was missed when we were younger, when we before we had children or before we were married and so our behaviors can sometimes be like uh you know a teenager's behaviors we want to relive those things because we're asking ourselves do i want to live you know the last 15 years uh my, my future 15 years the same way i lived the last 15 and and uh, so we begin to ask those questions and so in midlife crises, sometimes 
Hurtful memories are brought from the background to the foreground of our lives. Sometimes we're surprised by those memories. And then we're at a place of maturity where we go, wow, I have to do something about this. I'm haunted by these things. I've been so busy raising a family or doing life as a as a young adult and now that you know life is more controlled suddenly this thing shows up this memory and now life appears or feels as if it's out of control and what do what do I do how do I cope with this you know i threw into the title the idea of delete can i delete these memories i don't know what do you think can a memory be forgotten? Why is it that I can't remember some things or can't remember some things very accurately? I'll tell my kids something and they'll remember it differently. Or uh, perhaps it's just my older age. I don't have the capacities to remember things like I used to, no matter how hard I try. And yet there are some things that are indelibly uh, imprinted. It's like a tattoo on my skin, you know. It, you can't. I don't have a tattoo, by the way. I'm just saying. But I do have a mark from a broken graphite pencil on my knee. Uh, from Spanish class when I was in the 10th grade. And here, 40 years later, it's still there. So I do have a tattoo. It's a, it's a broken spot. It's a spot of a broken graphite pencil when it was under my desk and I went to move my knee and I jammed my leg with the pencil. So, see, you're, it's amazing what you get on our show, isn't it? Why is it that we can remember some things and we can't remember other things? Do you think it's because of the emotion? In other words, there are a lot of things that didn't, didn't have the intensity of emotion attached to it. It might be emotion. It could be the hurtful things and the most pleasurable things are remembered. However, there are a lot of pleasurable things that I don't remember. I just remember them broadly as pleasurable. Um, and I also know this, there are some painful things that people have difficulty remembering. While other people around them, associates, friends, or family, they do remember those painful things, but, but that, that particular individual does not. So I don't know what it is that puts some things into our memory and some things not. But the question still is, can they be deleted? I don't have an answer for that, but it's worth thinking about. I do believe that the more we think about something, the more it gets pressed into our memory. Like an anxiety, the more we focus on a difficult feeling, the more that that feeling gets bigger and bigger and it can consume our time, our day, our week, our life, we can become so consumed by a feeling of anger, bitterness, or anxiety. So it may be what we do with our emotions, what we do with our life, that actually either removes that from our memory or presses it in. So that would be worth thinking about. What it is that you are doing that keeps that memory alive. Now you may be thinking, it happened to me. And it was harmful and painful and I will never forget it. Well, then that's, that's true. And maybe it should not be forgotten. Because that memory may be a catalyst to something positive in your life. Because of this painful thing, I will not let this painful thing happen to someone else. 
or to many someone else's. There could be that kind of aspect uh, of why your memory stays where it is. So I, I don't know that I have a solid answer on the delete part, okay? What about, what about sharing? Who do you share with? One of the harder things about difficult memories is that um, depending on your personality, uh, a hard or difficult memory you may have the need to share it with many, 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 many people and then discover months, years down the road, maybe you should not have shared that memory because it is now getting passed along along the public, uh, the public system. <laughs> I want the loudspeaker. That's the word I was looking for. The public loudspeaker system. And uh, your life is now the center of gossip. So there's dangers in sharing. Who do you trust to share? Is it helpful to share? Will the sharing of your memory bring and stir up pain in someone else? That's a difficult question. And maybe these are things that need to be asked uh, before we begin deciding the need to share. I do believe that sharing is a good part of our healing. We do need to share our pain. We just need to find that person, not only that we trust, but someone that you trust to have good counsel and good wisdom. And someone, I think, that has history with you. They know you. They've spent time with you in the ups and downs of your life. It could be a family member or it could be a friend. There is value, as I said earlier, in sharing with a, a counselor, a paid counselor, who once you leave them, uh, you know, they're required to keep your memories shut and they don't know you, but you've had it had a chance to to spill out the things that have been locked in your life and are creating misery for you. So sharing is a good thing. Just, I would recommend being careful who you share with. Being careful who you share with. Um, now, it's interesting. I, I, I did put in the title, do we save a memory? Well, because sometimes bitter memories, we wish they wouldn't haunt us like, like a bad dream. But there are some memories that are, even if they are bitter, are helpful, helpful for our healing. And, um, and so before trying to erase them, if you are a devoted believer in Christ, there's often a good reason there you we should be asking why lord is this showing up why is it showing up now are you telling me that i have not processed this pain well and it needs to be processed so that i can move on that would be an important question to ask um do i save this memory and actually Begin to break it apart. Uh, you know, if something is broken, you take something apart and you replace the broken part or you put in something that is working and then you put it back together so that you can function with it again. Because you're not looking necessarily to... I mean, I wish in fairy tale land that we could turn our bad memories into good memories, but that, that's just not reality. That's just not there. Which is why, you know, that, that advice that I mentioned earlier about, you know, complex grief is the idea of accepting the notion that you will always have it. And if you will always have it, make space for it 
and then prepare yourself in advance to deal with it. In other words, don't do like I did. Put it in a box in a closet and think that it will never show up because it will show up. But rather, put it in a box or a closet specifically with knowledge that that is where it is and that you will actually open it up, open the door, and you will deal with it. And the suggestion is, is that when you have a complex grief, when you put it back in the closet or you put it back in the box, put it back in a better way than when you opened it up. Okay? Put something positive into that. Don't just let it spill out of your life and then you got to pick up this mess. Don't let it be the jack-in-the-box that shows up. Rather, every time you open the closet, put something in the closet. Put something positive. Put something that you've learned from the Lord or from the Bible back into the closet, okay? Back into the box. That way, every time that you open it up, uh, yes, it is complex. Yes, you might have to review everything, but you are also putting and reviewing new things that you've learned into that. I hope that makes sense. I hope so. Before we we move on, I do want to uh, acknowledge some uh, folks that are on the linked local network with us uh, who support us. Um, linked local network is, is a whole supply of podcasts along with other networking uh, links, whether it's business, enterprise, um, friendships, uh, you know, all kinds of, of uh Categories that fit into the linked local network, but one of them is, you know, uh, podcasts. And so, uh, linked local network is uh, where we are doing our show. And there are those on the linked local network that are supporting our show. And I just want to mention them: Community Voices Chat, which airs every other Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and also Pillars of Franchising, which airs. Thursday afternoons, 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, and that's every Thursday. I'd, I would encourage you to subscribe to Link Local Network. That way you can find us, ta-da, every week on any of the platforms that you use, whether iTunes or FM Player. You can just type in Link Local Network, type in Life Hurts, God Heals, and you'll find us. Even if you go to Blog Talk Radio and you type in Life Hurts, God Heals, you will find all of our broadcasts and the dates, and you can click on those. You can also find our broadcasts on our Facebook page, Life Hurts, God Heals. So, um, as we're talking about hurting hurts from the past, bitter memories, one of the, one of the difficult uh, aspects of memories that I have found to be true in my life especially painful, bitter, hurtful memories, is that when, when the closet door is open, okay, when the window pops up on the desktop screen of your life and now you have to uh, do something with it and then you find yourself going down a, a merry lane of memories that you didn't plan for, want, uh, and wish you could kick out, one of the things that that we often do with these memories is that uh, we do something rebellious as believers. Let me say that again. We do something rebellious. We do something that is not so much a part of our spiritual nature, but our old fleshly nature. We go to things to numb the pain, or to redirect us away from the pain. And I don't know what your thing is, what your thing in the flesh might have been. Was it popping some pills? Was it drinking? Was it Sodom and Gomorrah, if I could use that word? You know, whatever that entails. Maybe you go on a shopping spree and you load up your credit card with $1,000 worth of debt of things you're not going to use. You're going to buy clothes that you don't wear, or you'll wear once. Or you're going to go on a food binge to take away the pain. Do you see what happens is 
when you might wake up on your particular day filled with the Spirit and then somehow our enemy who prowls around looking for us to destroy our faith, our confidence, our direction in our relationship with God, he springs this temptation upon us. Do you remember when? A phone call comes, a letter comes, a bill comes connected to that memory. Okay, and then you're flooded with all the emotions of those memories and now you're playing those videos and now, you know, you're you're in you're in the in between land deciding between you know, the flesh and the spirit. And I'm aware of those things in my own life, and so I, I contemplate. I don't, I don't want to go to the flesh. What are some things, Lord, that I can do that can take me deeper into your Spirit, into the teaching of the Spirit, into the place of peace, when I'm in your presence, the place of contentment or completeness, where I know that, yes, that happened, but that does not describe me now. That does not define me now. What is it that I can do, Lord, that can get me back on the forward trek away from those difficult, bitter, hurtful memories? And we've already talked about making space for, you know, making space for memories and then dealing with it adequately when it needs to be unpacked, when you pack it back up, put something positive in it. And you know what that is actually describing? Some of you have been to many counselors. I've been to many counselors. And and what it is that's being described is acceptance acceptance of what has happened you've accepted it you're you've made a place for it and it's more than just a mental acceptance you are actually doing something with that memory so as we said when you unpack it because it comes up unexpectedly and then you repack it you are doing something with that memory that is actually positive uh, you're recognizing that it's negative, but that it's not defining you. It's not directing your emotions into rebellion or moments of rebellion. Moments where you are in, say, a brain fog away from God, where you get confused about where is God in all this. You know exactly where God is and that this memory was something that Satan came in to throw you off the edge. But you're not thrown off the edge. In fact, you're away from the edge. You might get knocked off your feet or you may just get tripped up. And the reason you're only getting tripped but you're not falling flat on your face is because you've accepted this. And this memory, this happening in your life, and you're doing something productive every time you open it up. This kind of plays into, I, I was thinking about this, uh, you know, what, what, does, what would Jesus have me do? And I, I went directly to the woman who was caught in adultery. I think it's John 8 or John 9. You can correct me. Um, I don't have the Bible in front of me. so um, Where a woman is caught in adultery, uh, all by herself, of course, the, the religious leaders are interested in trapping Jesus, and they have trapped him by wanting Jesus to answer the law that says uh, that the woman should be stoned along with her suitor. You know, whoever it is that is... Uh, um, being involved with her in this adulterous escapade, they both should be stoned, but of course the, the man is not there, just the woman. And so 
the, the story is, and you're familiar with the story, that the crowds pick up stones and sticks and they're ready to, to kill this woman in the name of the Lord, in the name of God's command made through Moses because she has sinned. But Jesus is presented with this scenario and he bends down on the ground and begins to write things on the ground. We don't know what he's writing, but then he speaks to the, to the crowd and he says, uh, you know, you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. The crowd begins to disassemble. They drop their stones and their, and their sticks and they, they walk away. And then the woman is standing there as you can imagine, in absolute fear, tears running down her face. Maybe she's not standing. Maybe she's, you know, on her knees, whatever the scenario is. And Jesus says, uh, you know, where, where are your those who condemn you? And she says, she says, they're no more. They're not here. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. There is that moment of acceptance by the Lord. See, it's one thing for us to accept what has happened, but part of our acceptance is a recognition that God accepts us, that God is putting his arms around us and hugging us. He knows we've been harmed. He knows we've been trapped in bad behaviors. He knows we got ourselves Sometimes, you know, the painful thing is our own fault, but sometimes not. Sometimes the painful things are things out of our control, the loss of a loved one. But whatever it is, God's arms are around us saying, I accept you. I don't condemn you. And I don't condemn you for having the memory. I don't condemn you for experiencing the guilt and, and the feeling of being trapped. I don't condemn you. In fact, I accept you. I accept you. And then he says, go and sin no more. Don't go to the rebel places. Don't go back into the flesh, woman. I want you to go into the, the things of the Spirit. I want you to go back to God. Begin to worship the God. You broke God's command by adultery. Go back to your husband. Okay? Go back to the things that honor God. Go and sin no more. And I, as I was pondering that, I was thinking, you know, when, when a bad memory comes, a, a negative memory, a flooding memory, when it comes, don't go to the places of rebellion. Don't go back to sin. Rather, go to the things God has called you to do. Make a plan in advance for that. Can I suggest that? Make a plan in advance. This is called preparation. Prepare yourself, like you know the illustration of the closet or the box, Prepare yourself for that memory to be opened again and to put something positive in it. Repack it differently and put it back in the closet or the box. Okay, Preparing yourself, making a decision in advance. I don't want to go to the place of, of drinking pills, Sodom and Gomorrah, shopping food. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go the way of the flesh. I want to go the way of the Spirit. Make a decision to do that. It's called making a safe choice. A safe choice to redirect. When the trigger happens, the flooding happens, the temptation happens, the grieving. Because this is what we're talking about, right? It is grieving a loss. Whatever it is, a person, a situation, a status, a dream, a hope, it's grieving something that was lost. And and can never be accessed again. Grieving that. But grieving it well. Grieving it right. There is a way of preparation that... I don't really know how to approach this, so I just need to say it or express it. Um, but it's, it's through the life of Hannah. 
Remember, Hannah was barren. And in her barrenness, she was faced with the constant mockery by another wife of her husband. And in that day, uh, uh, a husband might have one, two, or three wives. Oftentimes, it wasn't because uh, it was because that husband wanted <laughs> three wives. Hardly ever was that the case. Sometimes if a brother died, that brother, the brother who was living, needed to take care of uh, his brother's wife. Sometimes if barrenness was involved in order to keep the, the line of inheritance going, a servant would then take the role of a wife, like a concubine of some sort. But anyway... Hannah is involved in this family situation where his her what her husband loves her. Sorry about that. Her husband really loves her, but she's barren. And every year when it's time for her to go to Shiloh, where the temp, the tabernacle is, and to make sacrifices with her family, the other woman comes and she is bearing lots of children and making fun of of her. And it brings such pain and remorse, not only for those moments, but as you can imagine, throughout the year. But something happens in the life of Hannah, year after year after year. Do you know what it is? I, even though the Bible doesn't say it, it's, it's implied strongly. She's growing close to the Lord. She's not going to the rebellious places. She's actually drawing close to God. To the point that at some year in her life, and we don't know what year, she makes a commitment prayer, a Nazarite prayer, if you will, a vow to the Lord that essentially says, Lord, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. I will give him up. And I'm thinking to myself, what transpired in her life to bring her to the place where she is now willing to give up the son of her love if the Lord would grant her this, this dream, this wish? Well, the Lord is so pleased by her vow. He gives her this son named Samuel. And after he's weaned, which might have been around the age five, six, seven, or eight years old, she presents him to uh, Eli, the high priest. And, and Samuel is then working there in Shiloh. And she makes a, a beautiful set of clothes for him every year and so forth. But she goes back to her home satisfied, fulfilled. And you know what God does? God's not content with that fulfillment. He abundantly blesses her with five more children. But there's more to this story, I think, as it applies to the things that we're talking about. And that is spiritual growth. Rather than leaning toward bitterness, self-pity, being caught in the, in the swamp of darkness and dark emotions, leaving the family filled with mockery, instead she draws close to the Lord. She doesn't sin. She actually pursues her relationship with God and she strengthens that. She's made a choice, a safe choice, to redirect her life. She is caring for herself and her relationship with God. And that, folks, I think is really an important part to dealing with memories, hard memories, is developing a sustainable plan to continue to grow. Oftentimes we think about caring for ourselves through exercise, through diet, through recreation. Those are incredibly important. 
to moving us forward and moving us away, even creating distance from that bitter memory, filling our lives with, well, as one uh, personal caregiver told me many years ago, time to make new memories. I love that. And she's like 30 years my younger than me. But I just love that she said that because that was a great reminder to care for myself and create a sustainable plan when I was dealing with wilderness memories. Okay. Find it maybe maybe it's a, a redirection of your life to caring for your family, creating positive memories for your children or your spouse. Maybe it's reinvesting in your job or your career path, coming up with a plan to get into that career that actually feeds your spirit, that nurtures your spirit, nourishes you rather than drains you. You don't need more stress, right? So many of us have stressful jobs. I had incredibly stressful jobs, but did not take care of myself in a way that I thought was spiritual. I thought it was spiritual for me to beat myself up and to and to get into these things. Thankfully, uh, the encouragement for counseling uh, brought me out of that terrible cycle of death, brought me to a place of life. Okay, Maybe finding a ministry in your church that utilizes your skills, your gifts, or your passions. Or maybe it's a ministry that your church is sponsoring into the community. Or maybe you don't even need your church to give you that ministry. Your relationship with God means that you need to find an outreach somewhere where you can pour your life into someone else's life. Be productive again. Well, those are some of the thoughts that I had And like I said, they're not necessarily professional thoughts. They're just my ruminations, my reflections and contemplations as I process God's word in my life and I reach certain conclusions. I hope you're doing the same thing because God's word is truth. His commands bring life and they bring light to our path. So don't veer far away from God's word. Begin looking at the pictures and the stories and the images that are there. Ask God for wisdom as he teaches you his word. That would be my encouragement for you this week. So glad you joined me. So with that, I'm going to say God bless you in Jesus' name.